What's up guys, Will here from RevolutionaryLifestyleDesign.com Coming to you today to talk about everything you need to know about equities trading I'm going to go through the history of trading and a detailed industry overview As well as my experience as a pro trader And my advice for anybody who's interested in equities trading And this is going to be very detailed So sit back, relax, crack a beer, do whatever you have to do and uh, if you're interested in the equities market, I'm going to give you everything you need to know in this audio. And I'm not joking. So let me get started where when I found equities trading, I was, I was 15 and I went to visit my cousin at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Now, they weren't trading equities there, but they were trading commodities. And this place was like a football field filled with guys screaming and gesturing and, you know, this insane noise and insane incitement, excitement. And you could smell the money in the in the air. And I couldn't believe I couldn't believe that this place existed. And I couldn't believe that these guys were allowed to manage our money and manage the system's money. You know, they were making million dollar trades off of some fucking random ass hand signals. And these guys did not look like the kind of guys that I was expecting, you know, the sharp suits and all that. These guys were in, you know, shitty looking blazers with initials on them and members only jackets. And they look like blue collar dry blue collar guys who would have been driving a truck if if they didn't get a job on the pit. But I knew that if there was one place to make real money, you know, for a guy like me, this was it. You know, I, I thought, one, I can't believe the government lets these maniacs manage our money. And two, I was going to be one of these guys. But it wasn't until university that I actually started taking that plan seriously. I was a philosophy major, dropping out, you know, no direction. And I thought, what am I going to do? I wanted to become rich. And I decided I was going to be either an actor or a trader. When I thought about acting, I thought there is so much out of my control in that area that even if I'm the best actor in the world, what's what's to prove that I would ever get a shot? And I, I didn't want to be reliant on luck. But when I thought about trading, I thought, well, this is something that I'm going to have a much greater ability to control. And that was the extent of my decision. So... With all the delusion of a 21-year-old college dropout, I set my sights on building a massive hedge fund, and the way that I decided I was going to get there was to become a superstar trader. And that became my first real-world mission. And like all the other missions that have come after it, I attacked it with insane dedication. And eventually I saw the owner of a prop firm on TV and I dropped my a prop trading firm. I dropped my boring ass um, clerk job in a mutual fund company and I took up with them and it was horrible. It took me a year before I came prof- became profitable, but you know I just went at it with insane determination and, and eventually I became one of the most profitable traders in the company. In July 2006, I did 127,000 in revenue, and I took home over $60,000. The next month, I did another 90,000 and took home 
uh, $40,000. So within two months, I made a hundred grand US. And at that time, the dollar was much higher. So that translated into about 150,000 Canadian. Not bad for a 24 year old with no education. And it was insane. I had more money than I knew what to do with. I, I, I would just look at my bank statements and see $100,000 in there. and I couldn't believe it. And all from playing a computer game where the guy smoked weed at lunch and drank at their desks. But before I want to get into that, I'm just going to break down for you the history of equities trading because you have to know and you when you really understand this shit, guys, it's going to give you such an insight into how the world works. And if you've already read up on alternative history and the power structures of the world, you've got an idea. But it's just corrupt from top to bottom. And... Let me break down the history for you real quick. So equities trading is defined by buying and selling of shares in publicly traded companies. The first exchange was opened in Belgium in 1531, but it wasn't until the 1600s when the British, Dutch, and French governments gave charters to the East India Company so that they they could pillage India with the full confidence of the king behind them. Basically, what they would do was take opium from India and sell it to the Chinese. And that was the financial building block of the British Empire. Okay, It was built on drug dealing. And it was also the building block for many of the old money American families. Prescott Bush, the father of... George H.W. Bush, George Bush Sr., his family made their money running opium clippers from England to, uh, or from, from India to China. So the American, the wealthy old line English American families um, were running these opium clippers. And there were a number of other families that were involved in that that ended up going into banking. So when you hear George H.W. Bush in, in the 80s talk about just say no to drugs, his entire family fortune was built on selling drugs, okay? This is, this is the kind of people that you're dealing with. So the success of the East India Company led to the emergence of the South Sea Company. And... A lot of guys saw that there were opportunities in these companies and began creating fraudulent companies, trying to cash in on the new game and in turn creating one of the first financial bubbles. And that, since then, that has been the nature of the market. So it's crazy to me when everyone freaks out about the stock market crashing. The, the market crashes every decade, okay? I'm going to break down for you just a short history of, of the cyclical nature of the markets and and the consistent crashes so you got the panic of 1901 the panic of 1907 the wall street crash of 1929 the recession of 1937 the flash crash of 1962 the market crash of 1973 black monday 1987 friday the 13th crash 1989 black wednesday 1992 dot-com crash 2000 and the financial crash 2007 and those are just a few of the crashes in in America only. Okay, this is not a stable system that we're working with. This is this is a very unstable system. So, in modern times, the emergence of modern trading has the 
the owners of brokerage houses and banks have attempted to legitimize the stability and of, of, of the markets, but it is a facade, okay? Um, the, the facade that your bank presents to you is is bullshit. The nature of the beast is boom and bust, and it always will be. There are no safe mutual funds. There's no safe stocks, okay? No one knows where the market's going. With that said, it is still so far the least worst system we have, okay? At least we are not in communism. To give you an idea of how modern trading started, it basically started on Wall Street, where brokers would stand outside, literally on the street, yelling orders at each other. Eventually, they moved into a building and formed the New York Stock Exchange, a privately owned company that I might I might add, that facilitates daily trading. And over time, the NASDAQ was born to handle stocks that the NYSE chose not to list. And the NASDAQ became as big or in some ways bigger than, than the NYSE because all the tech stocks like Apple and Microsoft eventually listed with NASDAQ. So take note that both the creation of America's money supply and its distribution uh, to the capital markets are are handled by private companies. So the Federal Reserve creates the money supply and the New York Stock Exchange distributes it in the form of stocks. As time went on, the NASDAQ moved online completely and in 2006, the NYSE moved to a hybrid market mixing specialists in with in the pit with online order flow technology. And as the market evolved, different types of traders began to emerge. So this is important to note because if you want to understand the capital markets, you need to understand that there are different types of traders. So you've got the hedge fund trader, the George Soros, um, master of the universe. These guys are expected to do 20% a year and they get much higher compensation than the average mutual fund. But they also are punished harshly. So if they miss a year or they have a negative return on a year, that might be enough to finish them off. And you've got the bank traders. These banks employ a number of different types of traders. They have prop traders and quant guys. And they also have guys who basically take orders for wealthy clients. We're going to get into what prop and quant guys are uh, in a few minutes now. And we have the personal traders who are the worst traders on the planet. They trade through E-Trade. And they pretend they know what's going on. And these are the guys who provide all the money for Warren Buffett and George Soros to get really rich. The, they are no different than online casinos and personal traders. 99.9% of the time lose money because they have no information. They have huge trading fees. And they have very money, little money to be played with. They are the sheep to be sheared because... Money has to come from somewhere, and Warren Buffett to, to make $40 billion, that has to come from somewhere, and it comes from a lot of guys who don't know what the fuck is going on. Next up, you have the market makers. So these guys facilitate the order flow of a stock on NASDAQ. You will have um, major banking houses like Barclays, PLC, that will handle the order flow, whereas on the, on the NYC, you're going to have the specialist who works directly for the NYC in in the pit uh, handling the order flow although the a lot of that order flow has been um, it's been moved online with the with the hybrid market so he has a much more limited 
um, scope of influence than he did back when I was trading. And the, the job of the market maker is really just to maintain an orderly market. Then you've got the quant traders or quantitative traders. These are guys with rocket science IQs who, who you know, a rocket scientist IQs who decided to make money instead of um, withering, withering away in academia. Basically, these guys work for hedge funds or banks and they build complex algorithms to arbitrage tiny price discrepancies. And it's guys like them who help put guys like me out of business. Even at 33, I'm a dinosaur. And, you know, in the future, every single trader is going to be able to code. It is going to be a requirement. One thing to note, brokers are not traders, okay? Boiler Room, Wall Street, The Wolf of Wall Street. These are movies about brokers, not traders. Brokers are salesmen. They are now called advisors, but their job is to take as much of their clients' money as possible in commissions. And whether their clients make money on the deal is just a bonus. A trader has to make money by making the right call on the market and putting his money where the, his mouth is. The broker does not take the same position as the client. They just get paid when they sell a stock to a client. Okay? I have never been a broker um, in stocks. I was a commercial currency broker. And... When I was a trader, that's what my family thought I did. People, they could not understand prop trading. Trading with faceless people on the internet was, was incomprehensible to my family. They, they just could not understand that I didn't have any clients. And that leads me to prop trading, which is, which is where I was uh, stationed. I, was, I worked out of a prop shop. A prop shop is home to the proprietary equities trader, also known as the day trader or high-frequency trader. You can also find prop traders in banks or hedge funds, but a prop shop is specifically, um, it, it's, its only business is uh, proprietary traders, but prop traders work in hedge funds, banks, um, you know, various types of places as well. And the way the game works is it's 100% commission and the firm takes a piece of what you earn. A lot of the time it's 50% and that goes back to them for the use of their software, for the use of their information, and most importantly for the use of their leverage. So these guys will have a big account with a clearinghouse and they're able to give you a ton of leverage to play with. Uh, at the peak of my trading career, I was playing with $3 million in leverage without having to put up any of my own money. So that is the major reason to go with a prop shop. Uh, you also have way cheaper fees and you have lightning fast execution, which you need if you want to be competitive as a day trader. It, it, it would be impossible to do that, the type of trading that I did through a personal account. And I would have nowhere near the amount of money to play with without access to the company's leverage. And prop trading was my window to the market. Okay, this was when I first started studying the power structure of the world when I decided I wanted to be a hedge fund manager. And I've I've still I'm still studying the structure of the world. And my my experience was the market with the market was something that really helped open my eyes about how corrupt the entire process is and how rigged the game is. And I'm going to break that down for you further on in the piece. But for now, I want to I 
get into what it was actually like trading because it's it's pretty crazy and I'm telling you guys it if it's almost hard to believe that places like this exist and I would have a hard time believing that it existed if I wasn't there myself so my company was originally founded by these two crazy guys who made a fortune in the early days of internet porn, specifically gay porn, okay? These were straight guys who realized gay porn was going to be a huge moneymaker, and they made millions. And then, then they figured the next hot thing was going to be day trading around 1999-2000. And the original model was that they would offer leverage and a trading platform and lower execution for guys who were going to trade their own money. That worked well for a while until the dot-com bubble burst and all their traders went bankrupt or um, had to get real jobs. So what they did was they built a system where guys don't have to put up any money, okay? And they keep 50% of what the guys earn and they take a, they, they got a huge account with a clearinghouse. And what they did was they set up a bunch of branches, okay? they. They let anyone and their mom anywhere in the world start a branch for $100,000 and 50% of the profits, okay? So you start a branch in China, in return, you give them, you give these guys $100,000 and 50% of your profits, and in return, you get access to their company software, the company training, the very cheap um, trading fees, and the massive leverage. So you're able to give your guys, you know, you hire 100 guys, you're able to give them each 500,000, a million dollars in leverage. The amount of leverage that these guys had was was massive, 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 massive. So because they had enough money to, to, to get this massive leverage with the brokerage house or the clearing house, they were able to hire anybody, okay? Instead of guys having to put up their own money, which means they would have a very limited um, amount of traders, they're, they're able to hire any guy off the street which was me at 22. Basically, the interview process was just to prove you weren't a retard and then they would hire you. If any guy from like 18 to 25 and thousands of guys came through the door and 99 out of 100 guys didn't make money but then the guys who actually made it made a lot of money and this company ended up making an absolute fortune and it was a great deal for me. So. Without having to put up any of my own money, I got free training, free lunches, um, access to millions of dollars in capital, and I got to take home 40 to 60% of what I made. It's an opportunity that I have not seen available um, you know, in a long time, and I was just at the right place at the right time. So let me give you an idea of what, what the training class looked like. A typical prop shop, you know, is outside of the financial system. So I worked at head office of my company, which was in this dull gray office building in midtown Toronto, you know, far away from Bay Street and all the um, financial centers. Basically, the, the building was was filled mostly with call centers and other, you know, miserable looking jobs. But when you got to the top floor, which was our office, this place was like a fucking clown college. Okay, I'll never forget stepping off the elevator. The walls were bright, were painted like bright red, bright yellow, bright blue, because the owner believed that these were the most stimulating colors. You know, I was half expecting to turn around and see Ronald McDonald. And then you go past the elevator, there's a foosball table, 
There's like 500 TVs, you know, all on the financial news channel. And then you've got like 50 rows of, or, or 50 or 60 trading desks. And I, I just couldn't believe it. And it was like, you know, it, it was crazy to see such an insane looking place, you know, in the middle of this office building in in the middle of this very boring part of Toronto. And compared to like the soul crushing misery of my clerk job at a mutual fund, I was in heaven from day one. And you sit down to training class and they tell you, our policy here is to throw shit at a wall and see what sticks and you're the shit. They, they literally said that. They said that like, we're gonna hire a ton of you, most of you are gonna fail and the ones that stick around are gonna make a lot of money. But first you have to pass uh, the training class and then once you actually become a trainee, you have to make $2,000 in a calendar month. And they give you the basics of how to trade, but the three most important things you learn are theory means nothing, no one knows anything, and cut your losers quickly. Three pieces of advice that are still very useful in my day-to-day life. Then you learn the basics of trading, how to operate the level two, which is the bid and offer system, You learn about ECNs, um, electronic communication networks that allow you to bypass the specialist and get your orders filled quicker and, you know, allow you to have these um, arbitrage opportunities. You can have a look at the article if you're not already reading the article to see how that looks. You're going to have to look at the pictures and the screen caps to see what the level two actually looks like. Then we learn about technical analysis, which is like chart reading, which doesn't work. And chart reading comes with all kinds of indicators like Bollinger Bands and stochastics and Fibonacci numbers and moving averages, all of which don't work. But they are, um, there is some use to them in terms of looking at the chart and seeing where the stock has been over the last week and seeing how it's moving. And then you're going to have to go on sort of gut instincts. But just going on technical chart reading absolutely does not work. We learn a little bit about fundamental analysis, which is um, analysis of the stock based on its numbers as a business. But I'll tell you something, guys. Traders do not ever look at a balance sheet. Okay, there is no there is no business knowledge of the company going on. We there is no one at my company who could read a fucking balance sheet. Okay, the only thing that you pay attention to on the fundamental side is product launches, earning reports, um, trial, trial results, especially like pharma, like one of their drugs, their big heart drug. Um, you know, they, they release a big heart drug that works or they fail at a stage two trial and, and that means they've lost a lot of money. Mergers and acquisitions, uh, product recalls, any like big news that's gonna affect the bottom line. When that comes out, what that means is that stock's going to be in play. So it's going to be hot for the next two or three days, and everyone's going to be trading that, trying to get a piece of the volatile action. Um, Next up, we learn what became my primary style and most of the guys' primary style there, which is high-frequency momentum trading. You hear that term around a lot. There was a book called, I think, Flash Boys by this guy, Michael Lewis, who wrote about it to some degree. Basically, it was momentum-style trading. And at its simplest, is just 
you just you just trade based on where you feel the stock is going to go. Okay, it's just trading on gut instinct from patterns that you've seen, you know, thousands of times before. And the way we were taught was to scalp, make one to three cents a trade, and average three hundred to four hundred trades per day, and put all your buying power, you know, put three million dollars into each trade, and try and make one to three cents on it. And you can make a ton of money that way. It is a stressful way to trade, but it 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 was a very profitable niche for our company at that time. We also learned how stocks move. Um, every stock, the momentum of every stock is different, and it's almost like every stock has a personality. So the high volume, low price stocks like Ford aren't going to move much, whereas the mid range, high volume stocks like Texas Texas Instruments would have decent movement. Um, I'm not sure how those stocks move now. This was back in the day. And then you've got the high-priced, high-volume stocks like Exxon, which had crazy movement. Exxon was very hot in 2006, but, you know, would rip your face off if, if you fucked up. So, you know, you had to be very careful with those volatile stocks. But if you could, if you could master them, that was where the best money was at. Then we learned about a couple other systems of trading. One was called rebates, tr- rebate trading, which was basically you sit on the ECN and the ECN offers you money for um, delivering liquidity. So you sit on the bid and the offer, you make even trades, and you just rack up the rebates. And I knew guys who were making six figures a year just sitting, making even trades, and making money on the rebates that they got from the exchanges. And finally, there was what was called dark pool trading, which has become much more prevalent today. Basically, dark pool is like an invisible market for institutional clients who want to unload, you know, a large amount of shares without moving the market drastically. So if you're trying to unload a billion dollars worth of stock, you're going to move the market very far against you. Okay, you could move the the stock three or four dollars by the time you get out of your position. And, and with with each batch of shares that you sell, you are pushing the price of the stock further away from where you want it to be. And you're increasing the amount that you have to pay. So the dark pool was designed to, um, for institutions or large companies to sell large blocks of shares to a buyer who's interested in buying a large block of shares outside of the actual market anonymously. And the value would be the, the buyer of shares would get them at a discount from the market rate but the market wouldn't move um, four, three or four dollars away from what the institution wanted to sell it at. So these would usually be priced, you know, 30 cents out. And we had a girl in Israel making a million dollars off of basically just poking around the outskirts of a, a stock, you know, bidding and offering 30, 30, 40 cents out, finding one of these dark pools and then arbitraging it between... Um, the market rate and the dark pool rate. And once you hit one of those dark pools, you knew that you were going to make like three, four, five, six thousand within a few minutes. It, when it was when it was new, it was it was totally like um, you know unregulated, and it was crazy the amount of money that people were making on that. So that was sort of a basic. That was training class. I passed training class, which pretty much everyone did, and. 
now you're a full-time trader trainee. My first day of training class, I'll never, I'll never forget this. They put they had a PA system that was always blasting what we called the squawk box, which was, you know, financial commentary from the futures pit. And the first day they blasted Ramstein because one of the guys thought it'd be really funny to scare or to like psych out the trainees. But I just thought, man, this is this is the exact place that I want to work. And the way that it looked was training was completely unpaid. Your job was to take the basic amount of, of knowledge that you learned in training class and make $2,000 in a month. You were given $10,000 of buying power and you were told to do it. Maybe one out of 200 guys were able to do it and they would usually do it within three to four months, uh, graduate that is. And there were really only two ro- two rules: no overnight positions and no holding trades past your shutdown. And both of those things would get you fired. So your shutdown was the amount of money that you were allowed to lose before you were forced to stop trading. And for trainees, that was a hundred dollars. So you were allowed to lose a hundred dollars a day, and then you had to shut your system down, and you weren't allowed to trade anymore for that day. And the reason they had a shutdown system was so guys wouldn't end up hemorrhaging money because rookie traders are horrible and hold losers forever and do every wrong thing because you have, when you're new to the market, you have every wrong instinct. But before the system actually shut you down, you had to punch out of your trade. So I've seen, I saw a few guys get fired because they were holding a trade into a $200, a $300, $400 loss and not listening to their training manager. That and trying to hold an overnight position were the only things you weren't allowed to do. Now, training was, as I said, was supposed to take four months. If you're going to make it, guys would either either quit or get fired by that point. And there must have been thousands of guys who came through the door because I was at head office. This was the most popular branch, but I wanted to do it in two months. I thought, okay, I'm smarter than these guys. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to go to the library every day after work and study and I'm going to do it in two months but I was dead wrong it actually took me one year one year of banging my head against the wall not making money for an entire year and you know every other day I wanted to go home and kill somebody but I didn't give up and I actually ended up with the longest graduation in company history and the only reason they didn't fire me is because I went out for drinks with my managers and they liked me and they could see how hard I was working. So in some way, I was proud of the fact that, you know, I powered through. And that really just comes down to dedication. And whenever I want something, I've always had an unnatural level of dedication. And it is my belief that that is the only way to, you know, to succeed in something that's difficult. So once I graduated, I became a full-time trader, and from there on, my income pretty much went up consistently with every month. Um, it was like the training wheels were off, and and I just consistently got better. So let me break down what the culture looked like. This was a bunch of young guys, aggressive, money-hungry. Most of them, with the exception of me, were degenerate gamblers, and everybody was under 27. 30 was ancient and 35 was non-existent. There were no 35-year-old. There was no one over 33 at the company. 
Prop trading, especially the high frequency, like crazy leveraged scalping, was a young man's game. Much like, you know, um, e athletes who peak at like 22, you know, video game athletes. It's not uncommon for the best traders to peak at like 23, 24. And most of the guys who were good at trading were good at video games, myself included. Uh, so basically, this is how it looked. Once I started to get good, me and the other top traders, we filed off a corner for ourselves to do whatever we, we wanted. You know, we set up the computer speakers and we were blasting hip hop, you know, smoking weed at lunch, drinking at our desk. It was a madhouse. And, you know, some days you would come in and you would make $6,000 and some days you would be shut down because you made a stupid trade at 9.30 in the morning right off the opening bell and lost four grand. And you didn't know what type of day it was going to be. And you had no idea if you were going to make money or lose money, lose your mind. I mean, I was smoking almost a pack a day because the stress levels were so high. And I would say that like 70% of the guys there smoked. So it, it was it was really a madhouse. And... You know, it was it was one of the most fun times of my life, one of the most stressful times of my life, one of the most interesting times of my life, and it was the only job that I've ever liked because technically it was not really a job. I was classified as an independent contractor, and that meant that I could come and go as I please. So the market opened at 9, but I could come in at 10.30, I could come in at noon, I could come in whenever, and I could take any day off that I wanted because I was not an employee of the company. And believe me, I missed a lot of days because at 22, 23, I was not the focused person that I am now. I would wake up at 1 or 1.30 because we we were at the bar all night the night before and I couldn't be bothered to shower and shave to get into work, um, you know, and, and to get to get to work before 4 when the market's closed. So I just wouldn't go in. And as long as you made money every month, you could do that. You could do whatever you wanted. You know, the the system was a pure meritocracy and just like how it should be. Um, culture was, was, was based on meritocracy. There was no HR department. There was no censoring. You know, guys would, you'd, you'd hear cunt and bitch and cocksucker, you know, yelling, yelling at their monitors every five minutes, yelling at the stock. You know, oh, Texas Instrument, you fucking whore. Uh, Pfizer, that fucking cunt, owes me money. I, you know, I took a bath on that ugly bitch. That is, that is the kind of language you would hear 24-7. This place was an absolute HR nightmare, to say the least. And, and that's why we didn't have an HR manager. It, it, was, it was insane. And I'm, at least 10% of the traders would go to the court, courtyard to smoke weed at, at lunch and... and I remember trading high, trading high. You're you're completely absorbed in the reality of, of the screen and all the the flashing colors and all the bids and offers moving. And you know, I did that a few times until I lost two thousand dollars because I, I literally forgot that I was in a trade and I forgot to punch out. And it took me ten minutes to look at my screen and realize that I was down two grand. And I decided, hmm, maybe smoking weed and trading, you know, three million dollars is not a good idea. So 2006, 
our top guy took home a million dollars. At the peak of my powers, I had three million in buy-in power. I had a daily shutdown of five grand, and in my best day, I grossed seventeen thousand dollars and took home twelve thousand dollars. I'm going to talk about the money because the money was crazy, and I can tell you that I've never made that kind of money since and that fast. And at one point, it was actually easier to make the money than it was to deposit it. Okay. I would go into the bank when we when we got our checks. The first thing we do was go to the bank, and then go to the bar. And I'm telling you, two kids. Imagine two kids, backwards hats, walk in, each with a check of eighty thousand dollars U.S., which in in Canada was like one hundred and ten, one hundred twenty thousand Canadian dollars. It took every time I went to the bank. It took an average of thirty minutes to cash the check. The teller would have to call her, another teller, and then they'd have to call the supervisor. And, you know, I might as well have been bringing in a duffel bag full of money and saying, like, you know, you, you know, can you put this in a garbage bag for me or something? Like, they were just incredibly suspicious. And, you know, it was hilarious. And, and, and it was just the most bizarre reality that you could imagine. But... The money didn't start to come in until someone who isn't me or anyone I know figured out how to spoof the market, which was basically posting like fake bids and offers and moving the stock around. And this was something that SWIM, which is short for someone who isn't me, learned from the market makers. You know, Goldman Sachs at the time and Barclays. This was how they were they were getting they were fulfilling an orderly market and they were also making a profit on um, as a market maker. So Swim learned the technique from them and, and was able to master it. And on some stocks, Swim, Swim was able to move the stock around, you know, 30 or 40 cents if the stock was lightly traded or on like a large stock, um, you know, you could move it as much as 10 cents. Swim remembers one day where he made $4,000 on, on Verizon, moving it up 10 cents, moving it down 10 cents, moving it up 10 cents again and making a thousand dollars each way you know within three or four minutes of of the opening bell and this was something that was a gray area at the time there were no laws against it but it was it is something that's illegal now um our company was actually investigated by the osc at the time and they didn't find anything that was illegal at that particular time with that said when you're spoofing the market and it doesn't work out, it is a big fucking problem because you are posting all these fake orders on the bid and pushing the stock up. If someone decides to call your bluff, they will buy out all of your shit. So now the stock is 30 cents away from where you want it and you have all your buying power invested and the stock is most likely moving against you. So Swim remembers one trade where he was spoofing a stock he got called out and he was immediately down $50,000, okay? What could he do except close his eyes and pray? He, he, you know, he did everything you're not supposed to do in a trade, opens his eyes a minute later and he's in a $2,000 winner because the guy who called his bluff realized that he was not going to punch out and got nervous himself and puked back up all his shares and Swim was able to get out with a winner. 
that is the kind of crazy shit that would happen every day. And every time a swim or someone was spoofing the market, you were, he, he would always be worried that you, know, you would be taken out like that. So it was basically like, it was like you'd make 400 trades a day and it's like the money's sitting in the middle of the road and you know, you have to go run and grab it before you get hit by a car. That's, that's how it felt. And you know, that, that was sort of the reality. It was, it was absolute madness. With that said, um, no one was actually being victimized by spoofing. Basically, the only people who were losing money would be other day traders who were trying to do the same thing. Okay, the old lady um, who bought the stock for her retirement is not going to sell the stock five seconds later or three seconds later, and a fluctuation of ten cents in the price is completely irrelevant. Really, only the only people that you're you're playing against are other day traders who are trying to leverage every technique and everything in the book. This is nothing like you know Jordan Belfort and Wolf of Wall Street, who are just like monsters, you know, guys who rip off old ladies of their retirement funds on fake stocks. We were nothing like those guys. You know, this was just pure meritocracy of of trader versus trader and you know, only the strong survived. So, let me break down for you what the end of my run looked like. I was making some insane money for a while, but you know, around 2006 the NYSE moved to a hybrid market. And the specialist no longer had full control over the stock. And all of the guys who were trading NYSE, uh, myself included, completely lost our read on the stocks. And the stocks started to move more like NASDAQ. And all these algo traders and flash traders, the guys that you've read about uh, recently, started to take over the, the movement of the stock and you know they were really manipulating the stock but with these insanely fast um, insanely fast executions they were moving their hedge funds closer to the NYSE so that they could have you know they'd be milliseconds faster than we were they had all kinds of algorithms going off all over the place so we completely lost our ability to read the market and within six once the hybrid market happened, there was basically six months where I where I could not make any money before I finally said, this is enough. And I told my manager, I said, look, I'm going to go home and I'm going to work on my trading system and I'm going to come back when I have a system that works. And this was a, I, since I started, I was trying to build a trading system because I hated the idea of not being able to see consistent returns in my future. Like I told you, I'm, I'm not a degenerate gambler this is where I was different from most guys I've I've always been a businessman and I hate the idea of losing money so I wanted to build something that was going to be consistent and my manager said okay and I gave it another six months at home trying to build a system but I couldn't do it and eventually I just I just said you know what it's it's over I had to run and and that's done and that's what happened to pretty much every guy that I was trading with within you know a year or two it also didn't help that the exchanges started to see how much volume we were doing and, and they basically tripled the fees for intraday traders. And that that pretty much priced our strategy out of business. So 
before an even trade would would be a small loss, but now an even trade was like a um, a, a big size loser because you were paying for all the fees, and you had to in, and even if you made a cent, you know, you made a small profit on the trade, you'd still lose or break even because of the fees. So, you know, our 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 micro arbitrage, our micro scalping strategy was pretty much done. Add that to the fact that we couldn't read the stocks anymore, or at least the NYSC stocks, and you know that was it. So, here's what I learned, and here's what you need to know. And this is through like three years of hardcore professional trading experience, and I've made more than anyone you know, most likely more than the guys who are lying on YouTube. Um, and I'm telling you this, guys, because I, I just, I don't want you to buy into the hype, and I don't want you to buy into the bullshit. Okay, if you're looking for your exit plan, it is not going to be through trading 99 times out of 100. So here's what you need to know. Number one, no one knows anything. Absolutely, no one knows what the fuck they are talking about. Even the best traders in the world will admit that they are wrong. Half the time, they just they just punch out of their losers quicker, and they hold on to their winners longer, and they happen to invest more money on their winners, okay? That jerk-off economist on CNBC has never placed a bet in his life on the market. He talks about what happened after the fact, you know, and after the fact analysis is useless, and in most cases, he's wrong. If these guys knew how to make money, they wouldn't be on CNBC as economists talking about what happened, they would be billion dollar hedge fund managers, okay? Number two, it's a zero sum game. Trading like checkers or tennis or poker is a net sum game. So the winner's winnings are provided by the loser. Just like any money that you earn at the poker table has to be provided by someone at that table. So your winnings are coming from someone's losings or not in all cases but for you to make money it has to be put up by someone else all right someone else provides that money for you to get rich so the stock market is not a wealth creation system it's a wealth transfer system from the dumb money to the smart money from the hundreds of thousands of personal traders losing their fucking shirt to Warren Buffett or George Soros. That's how these guys make $40 billion because all these guys come into the market losing money. 90% of traders lose money. And the guys who win consistently make an absolute fortune. And, and that is the nature of the beast. Number three, the monetary system is a giant house of cards. This is an uncomfortable truth. So... This entire world monetary system that is supposed to have um, stability and, and you go into a bank and it, they make all the effort to make it look like this is a respectable, stable facility is an epic illusion filled, fueled by trillions of dollars in non-existent money. Bears have been, been predicting this great crash for a while and I don't disagree. The U.S. debt and deficit keeps going up. Their money is printed by a private corporation that loans it to the U.S. government at interest, which is impossible to pay off. There is no way out of that system. And on top of that, 
you have a stock market with trillions of dollars in circulation that do not exist. On top of that, you have derivatives and derivatives on derivatives. It is an absolute clusterfuck. And the great crash is inevitable. The question is, is it going to be five years from now? Is it going to be 50 years from now? When when are investors going to lose complete confidence in the market? And when is the Fed not going to be able to bail the market out by printing more money and buying up more bonds? I don't know the answer to that question, but I know that for at least the last 13 years that I've been reading, people have been talking about the same things. But the government keeps finding more ways to prop this back up. And I hope that they do. It's a it's a corrupt, um, disastrous system. But I don't I don't want to be around when that crash goes off because that's going to be worldwide, and it's going to be ugly. With that said, it's not something I think you should worry about to some degree because there's nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is not invest in the market if you choose. With that said. The market has returned close to 8% over the last 100 years. If you're looking to buy an index fund, that is still an option. But trading is absolute gambling, okay? That's one thing you need to know, and that's point number four. Trading is gambling. You're placing bets on the direction of the market, and it's absolutely no different than a casino. If you want to use, if you want to call yourself a professional trader and you want to tell people you want to be a pro trader, you might as well say, I want to be a pro gambler because that is what it is, okay? You're going to be a pro gambler. And pretty much every trader I worked with was a degenerate gambler. You know, a lot of these guys would have, you know, two screens going. One screen had their trading charts and stocks and the other screen had an online poker room where they were playing three or four poker games, okay? It is it is gambling. And that was one of the major, um, major factors in my decision to quit trading when I realized that I finally gave into the realization that I can't build a system, I can't see consistent earnings, and this is all just fucking gambling. And that took, that was like the final wind out of my sails. Number five, the markets crash every decade. So as I said before, boom and bust, that's the cycle of the market, always has, always will be. And if you look at the chart, of the market crash that I've got on the out on the article, you'll see that, and and you look at the panics and the crashes that I outlined, you'll see that on average the market crashes about once a decade. So you've been hearing a lot recently in 2016 about a, about a potential stock market crash, and that's probably going to happen within the next couple of years, and that's either going to be the big one or more likely the Fed will find a way to buy its way out of it, and like they've been doing for the last few crashes and they will buy up the companies that are too big to fail and and you know all this bullshit but uh anytime people start talking about how the old rules don't apply anymore like they did in the dot-com bubble that means it's usually close to the end and it's amazing to me how people will just invest their life savings in, the, in stocks without even looking at a 100-year S&P chart. Okay, the markets crash every decade. So it's, it's shocking to me how people are always surprised that, that 
that a crash is coming or that there could be a crash and and they say how can we prevent this in the future you can't the markets crash it's what they do they don't continuously go up as that there there is always fluctuation um with that said the markets have been going up for the last 100 years even including inflation but there are a lot of factors involved in that and there are plenty of times where you won't have made your money back within you know 40 years okay if you had bought in 1928 you would not have become even until 1968 Okay, if you had bought in the market at 1964, you would not have become even until 1992. So there is a lot to be said about understanding that if you are planning on putting your savings into the, the market, you have to be prepared to weather the storms. And that means that you could be losing money for a decade or for five years. But you're holding for the long term, right? 30, 40 years. And you are dollar cost averaging into an index fund. That's about the only way that I would recommend playing the market. And even that, I would just rather see you put that money into your own business. Number six, the game is rigged. You're competing in a zero-sum game against the best, brightest, and most connected people in the world. They have more leverage, more information, better execution and better connections than you ever will from spoofing to front running to broker first calls all these things are going on that you have no part of and no edge in and the stock market doesn't exist to create wealth it exists to transfer that wealth from you to them okay even the ex new york stock exchange chief dick grasso who's been outed numerous times for being completely corrupt admits the, that the market is rigged he says the market has become um, a highly manipulated gambling casino for the elite where bank and hedge fund investors high frequency traders in the feds massive injection of liquidity into the system have fueled a record-breaking inflated and unsustainable market i'm sorry that was madonna gouting outlining that but um in the link in my article Dick Grasso does say that the market is rigged. Okay, that's that is the nature of the game. And you are playing against the best in a game that is rigged, which is why you can look at any study and 99% of traders lose money over the long term. Number 7. The house always wins. So the way to beat the market consistently is to own the exchange, to own the casino, all right? High fees, poor execution, slippage, all these things work against you. And even the biggest and best guys still go broke. Their hedge funds go broke all the time. You, th you hear conspiracy guys talk about Wall Street and the things Wall Street doesn't know, want you to know. Yes, the biggest hedge fund guys have advantages, but they don't, they don't know either, okay? They're wrong all the time. And they go broke all the time. Warren Buffett could go broke tomorrow. George Soros could go broke tomorrow. You know, long-term capital management was one of the biggest hedge funds in the world run by the best traders from Solomon Brothers, an army of PhDs, and they went broke thinking that they were smarter than the market. They lost billions and billions and billions of dollars. So 
the only person who consistently wins is the house. And the house is the exchange. They win because they make money on every single trade. So now that you understand what you need to know, I am going to tell you seven reasons why I think you shouldn't trade. And remember, this is just one man's opinion. I also want you to know that I'm not bitter on the market. I'm not sour about it. I loved being a trader. The, my time it, as a trader, I look back with fond memories. It was an amazing time in my life. I made a lot of money, and I was actually successful with it. I did not, I did not lose my shirt in trading. I left, I left without having lost money. I think I was down five thousand, but the company doesn't come after you for. The company didn't come after you for what they considered were small losses. Basically, I left even, and that was it. I kept all my money. Um, you know, since I hadn't put any of my money up up front, I didn't I didn't have any money to lose. Um, so I came out of the market with you know over a hundred grand in my bank from just like three months work I was in three months I made 150 grand so it was like a stupid amount of money that I came out of out of the uh, the game with and you know I was technically a success it, it was I didn't last as long as I wanted to but I'm not I'm not talking from sour grapes and I'm not talking from someone who has failed at this okay so Here's why I think you shouldn't trade. Because this is not the business to be in if you want to make sustainable cash for the rest of your life. It's gambling. And I know you might have heard of some guys who are successful. And even me, right now I'm telling you I was successful or, or reading about some guy on YouTube. But, you know, check back with that guy in two or three decades. Okay? Because I don't know anyone who's still trading. So here are the seven reasons why I think you shouldn't trade. Number one, your trading skills are non-transferable. So after my run at trading, I'd spent three years, three and a half years, accumulating these skills that were completely now completely useless. I mean, I learned a ton. I learned a lot of mental discipline, but I was unemployable because the banks were looking for quant traders. They were looking for the rocket um, scientist guys. They weren't looking for guys like me. And... My buddy, he ended up with a back office job making like 70 grand, you know, which part of it was because he was a trader and he was working in the back office of, of um, a bank's trading firm. But, you know, it, that was pretty much the only guy who'd, who'd sort of leveraged it into something. A couple other guys leveraged it into, you know, a similar field, but the actual skills that we learned were completely untransferable. You know, if I'd spent that three years building a business, that's something that could have been paying me money even now, you know, if, it, if I'd built a, a consistent revenue stream. Number two, no opium. So you don't have access to other people's money. And even if you get a brokerage account, you're, you're only going to have access to a tiny amount of money and that's not enough to get rich. The only reason I made real money was because I had $3 million in buying power. Okay, even if you can match George Soros's run of twenty percent a year, which is what the best guys do. Okay, the best guys only make like twenty percent a year uh, return on their investment, and you can do that for the next thirty years. It's still going to be like twenty five years before you're rich if you're just using your own money. 
the the real way to get rich and the way that George Soros and Warren Buffett got rich is you either have a business with huge margins or you have access to a ton of other people's money. Okay, George Soros didn't get rich from from trading, okay, because he only makes 20% a year. He got rich from other people's money, okay? And he got other people's money by selling a superior product, a 20% yearly return on investment. So the market, the Dow Jones, you know, on average only returns 8%. He returns 20%, so he's 12% better than average. You know, he he, he or sorry, he gives a 12% return better than than the market, which means that wealthy billionaires will pay him an absolute fortune and will give him a an absolute a ton of money to manage because of that higher return. So really what he's selling is is a product. He's just selling the product of a higher return and that's how he got paid. So he got paid because he has access to opium, right? You're not going to have access to that money, so you're not going to get rich off the market unless you can find a situation like I did. But we'll get to that in a minute. Number three, the odds of success are abysmal. 99 out of 1,000 people will fail. And those are professional traders. And I'm, I'm telling you, there must have been 1,000 guys who went through training. And overall, maybe one out of 1,000 1 guys would make good money at trading. The, the average guy who's not a pro trader is going to be even worse. He just has no business trading because you're going to have no access to information. You're going to have terrible execution. You're going to have high trading fees, and you're not going to be treating trading like a full-time job. And if you want even a shot in hell, you need to you need to be treating it like your full-time job. Number five, you're competing with the smartest minds in the world. Okay, George Soros, Paul Tudor Jones, Warren Buffett. You are the guys who are putting the money on the table that makes them billionaires. They have every edge in the world. They have all the money, and you have none. Okay. It is, I don't care how smart you are, you are not as smart as these guys. It is not fucking possible. Okay, they, they are, these are the elite of the elite. And, you know, it is not a smart place to be competing. Okay, you want to be competing in a place where you have no edge or where you have a massive edge. Okay, which brings me to point number six you have no edge. Not only are you gambling against the best in the world without an edge, but you have a distinct disadvantage emotionally. So you have the opposite of an edge. Two years of having my brains beat out for the slightest mistake gave me a massive amount of discipline when it came to punching out of my losers. The exception being the 50,000 trade that Swim held until it came back to a small winner. This is not something you can learn from a book. The, the, the stress of trading is absolutely brutal. And the discipline and the ability to handle pressure is something that you can only learn from years of experience and thousands of trades. And that experience costs money and time and stress. And that money is will put you out of your business, will put you out of business if, if you are trying to trade your own money. At the end of the day, that, that is just the reality. Number seven, and this is the final point on why you shouldn't trade. Your lifespan is tiny. So almost 10 years from when I was a full-time trader, nine, 10 years, no one I know is still trading, not a single solitary soul from my training class, from any of the pro traders I worked with, not a single person. Much like a pro football player, the 
average trader has a shelf life of maybe three years. But the difference is the pro football player leaves with his money. If you're trying to trade your own account and you are not at a prop firm like mine, chances are, and you and you actually make it and you beat the odds and you actually become profitable, there is no guarantee that you're going to leave with your money, right? The football player plays for three years. He might get injured. His career is done, but he leaves with his money. You could make money for three years and end up going in the hole and end up with not only no money but going into debt, okay? For guys trading their own accounts, this is a common occurrence. I got lucky because I didn't have to put up my cash. I was in the right place at the right time. And I, I, I left without losing a lot of money. I left pretty much even. I realized it wasn't working. My manager agreed. And, you know, I left on good terms. But my cousin, the pitch trader, was not so lucky, okay? This guy was in his 40s when I met him. And he went broke 10 years later in his 50s. This guy had been trading for 30 years as a professional. And this guy went broke in his 50s because he was selling naked options, okay? 30 years in the market, 30 years in this business, and in his 50s, he's completely flat flat broke with nothing to show for all the money and all the time and all the stress that he's put up with, okay? Not to mention this guy was, you know, a heavy drinker and he was 300 pounds and you know, all that amount of stress that manifested in all these different ways and, and he ends up going broke at 50, okay? Your lifespan is tiny. So, if you're still unsure, my advice to you is not to trade. However, like everything in life, there are always exceptions to the rule and I'm gonna give you two exceptions to the rule of not trading. The opportunities I had, I don't really see much anymore. I was lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. But there are two types of guys who I, I think could give it a shot. Except number one, you're young, you live at home, you're willing to risk a year in your prime, and you found a prop shop that lets you trade with no money down like I did and that has access to a lot of leverage and that has access to good training. I have not seen an opportunity um, like that present itself in a long time. I haven't seen a major day trading company like like my firm was, which, which no longer exists. Um, you know, unfortunately, these opportunities do not seem to exist anymore. As I said, I was in the right place at the right time and Nowadays, most prop shops will require you to put cash down. That is just not the right move, guys, because that small amount of, you're gonna need like 30, 40 grand, you know, and, and that is not the place for your money. If you have 20, 30, 40 grand, just put it in a damn business and, and start making consistent money, okay? Do not gamble with your own money and do not gamble with your life savings because you cannot afford to lose that, okay? I, I get it, you're trying to get out of wage slavery, but let's say you're in your 20s, your late 20s or your early 30s, and 25 grand is your life savings. You lose that savings and that sets you back four or five years of having to work a job, okay, to save that amount again. Even if you have like 50 grand, I mean, 
you cannot afford to lose that money, right? And to be able to trade, you have to be able to afford to lose what you have, um, or you have to have enough money that you can that you can take a fifty thousand dollar hit, right? Because sometimes this shit happens. So having your own money in play is just not is just not an option. Um, that's like saying you want to be a pro poker player. Okay, everyone's gonna look at you like you're crazy. I know some guys who make a living at that, but you know, pro gambling guys compared to owning your own business, it's just not the way to go. Exception number two, if you can get a job at a prop desk of a hedge fund or an institution or you are a quant, you have a rocket science, you know, the IQ of um, a brain surgeon and you're deciding to go into trading, do it, okay? If if a prop desk or a hedge fund you know, is willing to interview you, these guys have the execution, the know-how, the leverage, you know, the information edge, everything you need to make money. And like the worst traders there make $200,000, $300,000. These guys make absolute fortunes. I had a kid email me when he read my previous article on you know, why you won't get rich off the stock market. And he said, hey, you know, I've got a hedge fund, um, you know, that might be interested in me. And, you know, do you think I should do it? You, you know, you're really against the market. Hell yes, I think you should do it. Okay. That's an option that I wouldn't have had. I don't have the education. Um, You know, I wouldn't have the connections to get that job. A, A lot of things. Okay. But hell yes, take that job. Okay. That, that could be your ticket to making four or five hundred thousand dollars at 25 and you would make way more money than i would um you know as a trader because those guys are going to have all the inside information that that i didn't have and that my buddies didn't have and those traders those guys who work at hedge funds like you know a lot of those guys last 5 10 15 years and and you will make a fortune if you can get in um you know at a hedge fund or at like a desk of a major bank. However, these guys are going to be looking for um, an Ivy League education, uh, a degree in economics, finance, or, you know, quant, like a a mathematics type major or a programming type major. If you have one of those or you have, you know, a combination of those and you're just coming out of school, then it's 100% worth a shot to interview with these guys, okay? 100%. I would I would say that is that is um, even a much better exception and a much better option than number one, which is what I did. And that's it. Those are the the two exceptions that I would allow for. Everyone else should not be trading whatsoever. So conclusions. My mandate at Revolutionary Lifestyle Design is the greatest good for the greatest amount of guys, and trading is not a good move for the vast majority of guys. I loved my time in the trenches, and as I said, I actually left the game with a lot of money, but I was fucking lucky, and I was in the right place at the right time. I wish I could tell you that was skill. It Some of it was, but a lot of that was luck, and a lot of that was just having the right opportunity at the right time. With that said, if you're truly committed and trading is your mission, then you know don't let me stop you, okay? I always... I hate to step on anyone's dream, but I just want to make sure that you have all the information available to make an informed adult decision. And 
if you're one of those exceptions and you can make it happen in trading, I will be the first one to shake your hand, okay? That's it. I just want you to have all the information and I want you to have my take on it. And hopefully you have um, you know, left the podcast and, and left reading this article better informed than, than you were um, before listening. So I want to thank you guys again for listening to the podcast. And as always, I wish you all the best.